Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined this week by Justin Williams. Justin, you, you benefited. Dave Simone is on a beach in South Carolina, so you get the pinch hit today. I, I, I think I won that, even though Dave's enjoying some, some sand and some sun. Well, we've got a very special guest today. Three-time All-Star, two-time world champion, and one of the most famous Bearcats in the professional sports world joins us, none other than Kevin Euclid. Kevin, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. We finally got a day that rivals California. It's 80. There's low humidity. It, uh, we get like five days a year that's about as nice as what you get out there every day. Yeah, it's been uh, hot here the past four days, and uh, we were just talking about it and laughing about how we, we're so glad we're not in the Midwest uh, because 80 degrees and humidity is just like the devil. Uh, <laughs> over that, so we're uh, we're lucky out here with no humidity. But you know, it's uh, I do miss though. I do miss a little bit about Cincinnati though. And there's always that vibe there in the summer that's uh, pretty special. Kevin, before we get get started, I got to yell at you for something. Uh, right. Congratulations, you started a podcast, The Greek God of Hops. Uh, welcome, I, I, as someone that's been podcasting for nearly 20 years. I want to say welcome to the podcasting family, but I do have one small beef. You cheated. <laughs> Your first episode you had on Sean Casey. You talked <laughs> for like four minutes and 18 seconds out of the whole hour. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's what I want, uh, <laughs> as it is. So I think my wife would attest that the guests should be talking more than me, so it uh, fills the airtime better. But, yeah, no, Sean was a great guest. He's a great friend, just all-around good human being that – it's just, I mean, his personality is just infectious. It's just, it's fun to sit down. And, and, and for me, a lot of what I'm doing with the podcast is just, I've, I've been lucky to meet a lot of great people along the way. And for me, it's just to share their stories, sit down and, uh, you know, talk with them about their life experiences, uh, you know, not just their successes, but some of their failures and, and just uh, give people an hour while they're driving to, you know, listen to, listen to us, you know, BS around. Yeah, you, Did, can, uh, you can cut, you can cuss. But if you cuss, you have to say sorry, Dan, right after it. Because one time Dan Horde was in his car listening to the podcast with his son, and my partner dropped an f bomb, and <laughs> Sam in the back seat heard it. And uh, so th the way we got around that is we can cuss, but anytime you say a bad word, you have to say sorry, Dan. Uh, and, and of course, Dan is uh, kind enough to have been the one to have hooked us up with you for this podcast. Oh yeah, I'll definitely say sorry, Dan. Dan's one of the. Uh, I mean, <laughs> how lucky are we? And since you know, as as Cincinnati fans, to have him as a Bengals, you know, radio guy with lap and uh, his his coverage of UC is just absolutely amazing. And uh, I've come to come to appreciate Dan Horde for many more things than just his uh, overall work. Just a great human being. I, I've got to know how many times do you text Dan during a Bengals game? <laughs> uh, he can probably tell you that it's usually at the end of it. Uh, just <laughs> it's only when, it's only when it's frustrating. It's either it, it, it's a bipolar who day like like thing. It's either like the high high or the very low low. So uh, you know it's one of the uh, I, I text him probably too much. He probably is tired of me texting about the Bengals. But you know that's uh, that's my love and passion since I was a kid. I, I'm still keeping the hope, but I don't know. I God. I just want to do ownership. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to some of that a little later. I, Dan, is, Dan has joked with me about, about you texting him uh, during football games. Um, yeah. 
one other question before we really get started here. Every time I mention you on Twitter, I have somebody pop up in my mentions and say that you're the second most famous person from your neighborhood. Are you aware that Brian Snow even exists as a human? Brian Snow? Yeah. He claims claims you used to play wiffle ball in his backyard when he was a little kid. And he is now the- Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They used to live in Tanger Woods. Yeah. Like Uh across from the Blumbergs. Uh, the Blumbergs used to have some football games, some wiffle ball games across the street. So, yeah, I know we've uh, – yeah, I, I know exactly here. Yeah, it, it took me a while, but now I, I got Bri- it. Brian is the – he's one of our national recruiting analysts for basketball. And, oh, very uh, cool. Yeah, he, he, every time I mention you, he has to point out that you're from the same neighborhood and that you're the second most famous person from that neighborhood behind him. Oh, I like it. I'd rather I'd rather be number two. Please, please annoy me in number two. Justin, what a what a perfect response. Where where you know like snow? Yeah, I think little kid that ran around. That's snow will be like he'll be excited, but it was still just the perfect answer you could have possibly had. <laughs> so you you obviously grew up over here, but from the looks of it, are, are we in your your brewery right now? Yeah, so we're at the brewery right now. I can give you a little glimpse of the bar area. That's our brewer right there, Justin. He just hopped down off. He's uh, brewing up some beer right now. So, um, yeah, and we're just we're building picnic tables. We're doing all kinds of crazy stuff here. Uh, life in COVID is uh, kind of interesting, and we're just uh, kind of adapting to what we have to do to uh, survive uh, through this. So it's uh, we're very lucky. We have some great patrons here that have started to come. We have outdoor seating now. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we're, we're grinding away. So, so going from Cincinnati to a storied, fantastic Major League Baseball career wasn't enough. You then had to move out to the West Coast, start a brewery, start a coffee company. I mean, I, I just feel like you're, you're doing living right. Yeah, I joke around. I say I, I, I wake him up in the morning and then I put him to sleep at night. So uh, you got to get uh, – that's one of the things we love to do. But uh, I'm a big coffee fan, uh, and that's where the passion came from, doing the, the coffee roaster uh, company up in Portland, Oregon, Loma-Coffee.com. Uh, check it out. You can buy retail bags from there. Uh, and, then the, and then the brewery side. Uh, I've been a craft beer lover for a long time and just – I'm the type of guy that can't sit home. I can't go play golf every day. I, I need a job, and I, I, I like working. Uh, I, like, I like getting out there and doing things. So, uh, for me, this, these passions have uh, been pretty cool because I've given a, a lot of good people opportunities to grow the business and do what they do best. So, I, I got a great team here at Loma Brewing Company, a great roaster in Brandon Smythe in um, Portland, Oregon. And it's just exciting. It's a lot of fun to see people in their professions uh, succeed. And, uh, we're just having a lot of fun along the way and just learning and growing. We used to have a coffee sponsor for this podcast. Uh, that contract expired. So if you're looking to, uh, to fill in, all right, for you, just I, right. the funny thing is we had a coffee sponsor. I don't drink coffee. So, so they, that does no good. That's like the worst me, sponsor you could have. <laughs> they send me coffee every two weeks and I just give it to Justin. It, it worked well, out well go. for me. So, yeah. Yeah, at least, at least somebody's benefiting from it. But, yeah, that's the key. Uh, what I've learned with our podcast, they, you know, our uh, Mudhouse Media, Mud with two Ds, uh, Chris Meyer, who started this, he, he was reaching out to me and him and his team are like, hey, what do you want? I'm like, well, here, 
I need hops. I need yeast. I need, I was going after, I'm going after any sponsor that can <laughs> exactly, you know, I, I'm pretty right now. My, my, my title sponsor is the Holy grail. Oh, they, wow. The Holy grail. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yeah. There, there's, I've had some definitely, Oh my God. I've been, I've been the Holy grail a few times back in the day. <laughs> the, the on one campus one, the, the, OG. the on campus one with the blueberry beer. That oh, yeah. was the blueberry pitchers of beer and the um, Reuben wontons. That literally, my wife's favorite. Still they were the best Reuben wontons ever. The only problem was you definitely got that, you know, that that burnt gum thing at the top of oh, your yeah. mouth. Oh yeah, because they were so hot. So, so you, when when my wife hears this, you're going to be her favorite person because her two go tos at the Holy Grail are blueberry beer and Reuben wontons. So you're a man after her heart. They, they you know. Fan favorite here. I'm a huge hey, fan favorite of that. Know what you're good at and stick to it, right? Always. Keep it simple. <laughs> stick with the path. You know, get outside your comfort zone here and there when you want to. But you know what? There's nothing better than that blueberry beer and that Reuben wontons. All right, you, let, let's get this, the, the serious stuff out of the way because I think this is uh, – let's have some fun with this podcast for the most part. But uh, you're topical in Cincinnati right now, the, the name of – the stadium at UC Mardshot Stadium has, uh, has, has been brought up as uh, problematic. Those of us that have been in Cincinnati for a long time kind of knew it was problematic the, the day it went up. Um, but attention is being brought to it now. Um, what is your story in relation to this and why speak up? Why, why make it something that, that you're, uh, you're, it's a cause you're looking at? Uh, yeah, I think it was something that uh, came to my attention through Nathan Moore, uh, who, uh, you know, a UC pitcher, and he's the one that kind of posted him and Jordan Ramey. They, they posted about this, about a petition uh, to rename the stadium. And I, I think what was really cool about it was I read his post and, you know, it was like two and a half pages on his notes and it was well thought out. It was well done. It was well researched. And these young, these young men went and did the research and found the issues with why they feel uncomfortable with that name representing UC baseball. So I saw what they were doing. So I had to give my story. My story is this, I was asked, um, I forget what year it was, but it was probably in like 2007 through 2010 ish, uh, by, you know, people within the university that were looking to raise more money for, for the baseball program. I got asked to, to, to raise a large sum of money, to rename the, 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 the stadium or field to Kevin Euclid's field at Marshot Stadium. Well, I thought that was truly an honor. I, I, to have the, you know, I, I didn't want a Kevin Euclid's field. I wanted Euclid's, Euclid's field after my family because I have so many great family members that love UC, that are diehard UC fans, and uh, that would be more meaningful. So I go back to my dad, and I'm super excited. I call him, like, Dad, guess what? You know, they, they, want, you know, they want to do this, and – and then I told my dad the number, and my dad goes, what? You know, <laughs> first and foremost. So, uh, he was kind of shocked about the number and joking. And I was like, yeah, dad, don't worry. Don't, you know, it's their first, it's their first go at it. You got, you got to shoot for the moon. But uh, we, we, we discussed, and my dad said, hey, listen, Kevin, he's like, I, I don't I, – I try not to – he goes, I tell you what to do in life, but I'm, I just have to say this. It's really cool that they want to rename it that. But I don't feel that the Eucalyptus name should be next to – that name that's on the stadium and it and then a light bulb just literally went off my head and I was like you know what 
I argue with my dad just like every son and their dad. Um, and I was, I was, I, there was no argument there. I just said, okay, dad, you're, you're hundred percent right. I agree with you. And I called back the people and said, Hey, I, I unfortunately cannot do that. Um, but what I did was I, I did scholarships. Uh, we, we raised scholarship money uh, to provide because the we were below the 11.7 that is allowed with uh, baseball. So yeah. that was kind of my backstory. And I, the powers that, that be at University of Cincinnati, I, I told many for many years why I didn't do it, why I think that name is not a good idea. And these guys are, are, are the players now. And future players that know this story now, we might lose recruits because of it. And for me – I just think that people need to understand, is it, is it that big of a deal to you to keep that name up there more than the overall brand of what UC represents as a whole? And I think, uh, to me, it's an easy fix. Uh, to other people, they'll disagree. And, but that's the beauty of uh, the world we live in is you're entitled to your opinions. You've been asked about the, what, what to do with the money that was donated uh, that put her name on the field. Uh, you've kind of supported the fact that it, to have her name removed, the, the, the money should be returned, right? Yeah, well, I mean, my, my thing is this. We, we can use, the, the great thing about life is you can, you can, if you want change to be made, it's not going to come easy and you're going to have to go out there and do something. So I am fully willing to go out there and try to raise the money to get it back. Uh, you know, I'll donate myself and, and try to get, you know, the sponsors. But, you know, get a grassroots, you know, thing going too, because I think what happens sometimes is when we try to do all these things and, and we've been very good about GoFundMe pages and all kinds of stuff like that. But I think that's uh, I think it's one of those things where we need everyone involved that wants to be involved with UC baseball. And with this change, we can have a lot of great people that can donate that they're, that they're comfortable with a small donation to help rename the field, but also to help, you know, rebrand UC baseball. Okay. Um, I want to go back to that conversation you had with your dad because, you know, obviously you were excited about them reaching out to you about this and, and he was clearly excited and proud for you. I'm guessing that had to be a, a tough conversation for him. Not that he clearly had his beliefs and his convictions, but to kind of tell you, I know this is something you're excited about, but this is why it's tough for me. Can you just, what was that experience like having that conversation with him? Was that something you had talked to him about before specifically in regard to the stadium? Well, yeah, we, we had uh, discussions about Mar Shot growing up. I mean, when she got suspended and, and you know, I definitely uh, heard a lot of uh, stories and my dad and his feelings. And uh, so, you know, being a part of the Jewish community, that, that was uh, something that a lot of people and my dad's friends uh, around the Jewish community, you know, didn't appreciate. So the, the talks were there before, but I think my dad was so quick with it. He, he was so quick to come back with me right when I said it, that I knew right then and there that it was definitely not the right thing to do um, of donating and putting our name next to it. But, you know, my dad has taught me a lot along the ways. Uh, I used to, I, one of the things now I, I joke around with is he's always, we were playing base, you know, when I was playing baseball, meeting all these baseball players, my dad's like, you're networking, you're networking. I'm like, dad, this isn't like real life, man. This is baseball. I was like, I got to go out there and play. But then now that I'm a business owner and I've, met all these people along the way through baseball I've learned that oh man my dad was right so it's kind of one of those dad moments like now being a father that I constantly try to ingrain things into my kids and they don't listen but hopefully they did listen and they got a little uh, a glimpse of what they should be doing down the road so I've been very fortunate to have great parents that have pushed me in the right directions.
You uh, you mentioned Nathan Moore, who kind of wrote the post that started getting attention, and, and Jordan Ramey, who actually I think started the the petition. You know, these are two college age guys. You obviously remember back in your days, chugging blueberry beer, eating Reuben wontons on, on campus. You know what it's like to be in that position. What were your thoughts on on those two young men and kind of how they have have championed this you know discussion essentially the past week or so? Well, I, I think it's a, I think it's great. I, th- I think it's we, we all know like in life we all know you know the, the hard part is change doesn't come quickly and change it takes time, you know. And the and this younger generation, you know, there are things. Uh, there, there was a thing with McMicken that I read up on and how they changed the name of that. I wasn't super adamant about that in a lot of ways, not because of why. It was just more of like the era and time that. You know, Charles McMicken, like, I think it was Charles, right? Charles. Yes, yeah. Charles. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't, don't want to get that one wrong as a YouTube student. But, uh, you know, and, and I read up on that story and I read up on the history of it. But I, I think it gets hard is then every, you know, we're going to rewrite history entirely. So it is one of those balancing acts of trying to figure it out. And I know it's tough. But I think uh, to somebody in the 1990s that's in my lifetime and the rhetoric that was used, I think that's why um, – you know, these guys are, are doing the right thing. They're speaking out about why we should, you know, not be walking by our field every day and seeing that name associated with it. All right, that's enough serious stuff. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to, your, to, to how you ended up at UC. Uh, Coach Cleary, uh, one point said, let me find it. Um, I'd love to tell you I saw something no one else did, but he was just better than what we had. So it's, it's a ringing endorsement for uh, yeah. how he recruited you and landed <laughs> landed you at the University of Cincinnati. It, it's definitely the truth. I mean, it, it's all truth there. I mean, the funny thing was, is I wasn't even supposed to be the guy that was going to be starting. Uh, that, that's what people don't know. There was another player there. I won't name names or anything, but uh, he was supposed to be the third baseman. Everyone loved him, and he was supposed to be the guy. And uh, we played against each other in summer ball for years. And uh, it was just one of those things where I came out in fall ball and prove my worth and then next thing you know I, I i played the coolest probably one of the coolest things i can talk about about my career at uc is i never missed a pitch i played every single game every single out every single pitch in four years and that was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life to look back on and, and see like cal ripkin of college like that's that's, that's, that's how like you get the on the money ball radar ever. right yeah yeah I, I earned it i had to work every day like there's no days <laughs> off you know so uh, no, but I, I was I, I was overlooked. I was overlooked my whole entire you know youth. I, I played on really good teams. I got cut from Midland, uh, but somehow I always me got too. asked back. I got I got asked back to those Midland events, even though I was like, "Why are you asking me back to the Midland events? You guys cut me when I was 16." You know, so uh, it it was work. I mean, I had to work at it. I had to stick to you know putting my head down and just keep learning the game and playing hard. And I, I knew through that that good things would happen and. Uh, just like some of these guys are not getting drafted this year. It's like, keep your head down, man. Just like keep going and keep playing. As long as there's an opportunity, somebody will find you. But were you a knothole kid? I did play knothole. So it's funny, like out here we have Little League. It's bigger yeah. here in California. But like I say, like we had knothole and like, and I'm like, ah, don't worry. You don't know what it is. But uh, yeah, I was a nine hole kid. Played in uh, Montgomery in Blue Ash. Uh, at Gr- was it Grooms? Groomsfields? Uh, where the uh, replica of uh, Crosley. Mm-hmm. and grew up there playing and then started playing travel ball later on when I was like 13, 14 for Knuckles. We won the uh, AAU World Series. Uh, I think we were 14 years old. 
but yeah, so like my, my childhood and playing against all these great, you know, UC or, or Cincinnati baseball players. I mean, going outside of Cincinnati and then looking around, I mean, Cincinnati is a hotbed for baseball. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's in the water, but baseball is such a, such a big deal for how much talent we've produced in that city. I, I might have one up on you. I won a not whole city championship. Nice. I don't even remember I, that. I, I was, I think, one year probably before you. Um, I was a 79 birthday. I'm 78 or 77, but I was late. So I was playing with, with guys that were younger than me, a year younger than me. So I might have been one year uh, ahead of you in Knothole. Remember a team called Master Jewelers? No? I don't. No. That was us. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like one of my dad's friends. My dad <laughs> we uh we got the we played on on old crosley to uh oh, yeah to, to win the championship which was uh was always one of the highlights you know getting the the dog pile uh after nice. after accomplishing that so right in my backyard um, <laughs> jay I'm, i i wish i just had anything to compete with that i i, I got nothing little fenway <laughs> did you ever play there when when you were here in cincinnati no, that was built after I was uh, past those years. But I think Tim Naring was a part of that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 I've all the stories of Tim uh, in Boston from uh, the clubhouse. One of the clubhouse managers, uh, Joe Cochran, used to tell me stories about Timmy Naring. And uh, it was cool. I, I went there for some event. I think I did something there at one point uh, to help out in some way. But, yeah, that's a pretty cool field. Uh, but I did play on those other fields that are right below it. Yeah. Uh, so we played there, played soccer out there when I was growing up. So, yeah, definitely uh, played played at those fields against Storm Club, I think. Oh, oh yeah, wow, Storm, Storm Club. Club. Yeah, that was a big deal. Well, I did absolutely nothing of note on any field anywhere in the general Cincinnati <laughs> area. Um, Look, I'm not saying I was a good player on those teams. <laughs> I was just on the team that won a city championship. That's all that matters is get on the right team. <laughs> Aside from, Kevin, you making neighborhood kids, you know, chase your, your wiffle ball home runs over backyard fences and stuff like that. At what point did you realize this, you know, you, you talk about Cincinnati being a hotbed. When did you realize you had some, some talent that could, you know, potentially take you somewhere, even if it was just playing in college? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, it, it was one of those things where I always felt I could compete, and I was competing against the, the great players around Cincinnati and the Tri-State area and travel ball and doing well. But I just didn't get the looks as much. I, I just – didn't have the sexier body, didn't have the, the frame, the, all, the, all the intangibles that, you know, people think are definitive on how good of a ball player you are. I mean, I remember my junior year in college, Michael Vick got drafted in the 30th round, and he hadn't played baseball since junior high. I mean, that was like the biggest deterrent I've ever seen. I was like, oh, my God, I don't think I'm ever going to get drafted here. I'm like, and I don't have Michael Vick speed, so there's no chance that, you know. But I, it was just one of those things where – people kept telling me what I couldn't do well. I mean, people are like, oh, well, he's got this, or he's got that, or he can't do this, or he's not that. And it was just, you develop a chip on your shoulder. And I think for me, I always dreamed about playing college ball. And I wasn't getting a lot of looks. And then I dreamed about playing pro ball and didn't get any looks and didn't get drafted my junior year at all, um, which also is why I, I'm not a Reds fan since I got drafted by the Red Sox. But that's a whole other story we can talk about some other time. <laughs> Um, scouts of the Reds at that time basically laughed at me. So take that for all the Cincinnati Reds fans out there, their scouting <laughs> department in uh, the late 90s and early 2000s. But, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I just got overlooked all the time. So for me, I was just like focusing on honing my craft, getting better and like, okay, I got, well, if I'm, if they don't think I'm good enough, I got to do better. I got to do better. And so that mindset crept in every single day. I got to be better at field. I got to be better base runner. And it was very valuable for me because I learned that I have to keep working at my craft in order to get to the top. But I never really thought, I mean, my eyes were always on the prize of like being the best I could that day. And what I've come to know later in life with mindfulness and meditation and all that stuff is you live in the moment. And when you live in the moment, that's the only thing you can control. So I didn't really, uh, I didn't know where my future was going to take me, but I knew that as long as I kept playing hard and competing against the guys that were the better guys on the field and, you know, getting, you know, getting hits off the, the great pitchers that were getting drafted or, uh, signed to colleges that I I'd give myself the best chance to, to show people that I could do it. Where other than Cincinnati, where, where did you consider going for college? Where'd you have offers from? Uh, Butler university. Uh, I went there for a visit, got offered a scholarship there, you know, very small scholarship. Baseball doesn't give a lot of big ones, but, uh, I, that's my running joke that I've probably every podcast. I was like, if I was a, if I was a, if I was a guard, a shooting guard, University of Cincinnati, Butler University, I'd been like, a, I mean, I'm like a hot recruit, but in baseball, <laughs> you're big time. Yeah. Like in baseball, it's like, uh, you're a one-star athlete right now, you know? So, uh, yeah, those are the two. And, uh, if I didn't go to division one, I, I was planning on probably going to Juco out in Arizona, uh, and just go that route. But luckily Cincinnati, which was my childhood, you know, dream is be a Bearcat, uh, Brian Cleary called and said, hey, we got a little offer for you. And I said, okay, I'm in. Just sign, <laughs> sign right there. Fighting your way up through the, the minors and, and making it in Boston, what was that journey like, not only personally, but watching everything around you as the Red Sox kind of grew into a, a mini dynasty um, in that time period? And you're kind of the the – you weren't the biggest name guy, but you worked your way into to being a regular um, and, and found yourself a part of some really incredible times in Boston. Yeah, it, it was, it was unbelievable. I, I was very lucky to come up in 2004 with a lot of veterans that could teach me the ropes that could, they, they taught me so much. I mean, they, I mean, they picked on me left and right because I was the rookie, you know, go grab the beers. And I mean, my, I, my forearms were so big from just carrying all the beers on and off the plane and to and from and all that. So uh, I joke around about that, that I got a lot of hand strength uh, that helped me with baseball because of that year. But those guys were very influential in my career and showing me how to win. And in 2004 and winning that World Series and, and being a small part of that was uh, just everything I needed to, to, to know that one, I had to, like I said, I had to get better. I had to be able to start in the major leagues and do some really cool things. But also, two, it was just how to become a professional. And those guys were really, really good about teaching everyone how to be a professional, going out there, playing the game. Uh, we all don't have to be best friends off the field, but when we come together as one, we, we, we are going to go out there and compete against whoever is the opposition that day. So, you know, I was very fortunate. Uh, to, to be around a lot of future Hall of Famers and great players that, that not only taught me how to be a great ball player, but to have higher character. When did you finally stop taking crap from teammates about your batting stance? Never? <laughs> I don't think it's ever stopped. <laughs> it won't ever stop. But, uh, no, they, they all had fun with it. They all, they all loved it. I mean, 
Marco Scudero probably was the one that did the most. I mean, he'd be in the shower doing it, joking around. <laughs> he'd be, anytime I walk in, like, it'd just be, like, hilarious. Like, he would always joke around and mess with me. And uh, so, yeah, it was fun. I mean, and, and guys across the way, the opposition, you see guys in the outfield, they'd mimic the stands. So. <laughs> it definitely became a, a running joke. But uh, I guess, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's flattering that people are, are mocking you. Obviously, the you mentioned the, the the Red Scouts. Was that was that a dream at any point? Did you grow up a Reds fan? Was there any oh. interest in, in coming back and playing for the Reds at some point? I was a huge Reds fan. I mean, I, I I was a diehard Reds fan. And let me tell you, when I heard the things the scouts said, I think it's half the reason why I made it to the major leagues. <laughs> <laughs> it was to prove those dudes wrong, and they're out there. And if they hear this, they know who they are. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, it broke my heart. It, it broke my heart. And what I realized is once you go to pro ball, I mean, it's a business. You're, you're working. I mean, it's like, you know, you work at PG&E and then you go – sorry, P&G, not PG. PG&E is out here. P&G and then you go somewhere else. I mean, it's just, it's just a part of, you know, as you grow and your dream of a kid, you're, you're not rational. And then you realize you don't get to choose your destiny when you get drafted. Somebody has to pick where you go. Uh, but at the end of my career, I tried. I tried to I tried to finish my career in Cincinnati and uh yeah. They still didn't happen. want you? Yeah. I won't I won't name names, but yeah. It, after after three all star games and, and two World Series and everything you did at the end of your career, they were like, Now we're good. Nope. Wow. Well, you know, take taking into account all of the overwhelming success the the Reds have had in in the last thirty years. Things worked so. out pretty well for you. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's one thing that, yeah, no, that's one thing I always joke about with Case is, uh, you know, I don't know what that organization's doing, but they got to they got to get it right and figure out, you know, what they what what they did right in the years before. But it's hard. I mean, you know, being a smaller market team is not easy, and you got to draft well, you got to develop well, and you got to you got to sign guys to contracts that. It's just hard. It's it's hard being a small market team. I mean, I was lucky. I played for big market teams. We paid the best dudes to go out there and shove right. the best dudes to hit. The Reds don't have that opportunity. So, you know, the big thing is what I've noticed is always ownership. You know, when it, when the ownership is at top is strong and they know how to delegate to the people that know best within the baseball world of how to draft, how to build, uh, build up uh, the minor league system, that's usually the winning formula. And I think the Reds have just not had that for many years. And who knows? I mean, they're, they're making strides now, but – it's not easy. It's not easy in those small markets. You, take me uh, back to the, you wanna, good. Real quick, take me back to the 2007 World Series. Um, you, Mike Lowell, David Ortiz, three guys for two spots when you when you played in the National League parks, and, and you were kind of the odd man out in that. But how did you handle that? How, does does it sting your pride at all? Or at that point in time, was it just hey, let's. But we're trying to win another World Series, and if this is what best, what's best for the team, it's what's best for the team. Yeah, so that was in 2007. Seven, uh, the yeah. LCS, I was like – I was on fire. Um, 14 for 28, I think my stats were in that series. Uh, just – I mean, I, I mean, I would – a bloop. Every bloop was falling in. I mean, it was just one of those series that just was on fire. And then the first two games, I got a couple hits at uh, the World Series. And then we go to Colorado, and, you know, Tito talked to me about it, and – I mean, what are you going to do, David Ortiz? I mean, it's a big poppy. I mean, we just broke Tito. the curse because of big poppy. Tito, so. I got to be playing over David Ortiz. Come on. Yeah, The trust people me. in Boston would have rioted. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I could. Well, it's in life you can do two things, right? You could be the asshole. Sorry, Dan. Um, <laughs> and you could be, or you could just think about what the greater the good is in this situation is the fact is this I knew I was coming into the game at some point yeah I, I had to come in and face like the relievers that were like throwing hard and doing all that but um, I knew I was coming in and play defense so uh, David would play you know maybe two to three at bats and then next thing you know I'm coming in for defense uh, so I had to be prepared to come off the bench and there might have been an opportunity where I had to get a big hit so it, it was one of those things where you have to swallow your pride. Uh, did I want to play? Hell yes, I wanted to play. I wanted to play every – yeah, I mean, there was no doubt about it, but uh, I didn't care. The, the greater good was winning that World Series, and we got lucky that we uh, didn't have to go another game in Colorado where I had to sit the bench. So we won in four. The, the other guy was Mike Lowell. You could have maybe argued I should be playing over Mike Lowell. The, the poppy thing, you're, you're, ne you're never going to win that one in Boston. <laughs> well, well, Mikey Lowell is a great defensive He was really baseman. good. He had 120 one RBIs that year. Yeah, so, I mean, there was, you know, the, the give or take was I was mainly at first base that year. Uh, uh -huh. played a little bit of third, but, you know, Mikey was definitely a better third baseman in that sense with his glove. And in those situations, you want, you want strong defense. You, know, you you don't want any balls getting through that left side. Okay. You obviously had a great career and, and got some notoriety because of that, but you remained really involved and, and present with the UC baseball program. Was that something you were always hoping, planning to do, regardless of how things planned out? Was that kind of something, a conviction that happened for you as your career had a lot of success? You know, my pride in UC is, is I mean, people that know me, like, they know how much I love that university. That university taught me so much about life. Uh, I've talked about that and kind of my stance on the March shot thing is a lot about the diversity and the people I met. And uh, it, the, it, it was such a great experience. And I'm so proud of that university and the way it's changed. And when I come back to Clifton and see all the great stuff that's there, I mean, it is awesome. They have nailed it. They have done such a great job of building that university, cleaning it up. Uh, because when we were there, it, it was, it was, it was wild. And, you know, it was a wild time. And, Johnny Bench Field was not the sexiest place. Uh, it was great for hitters, but uh, it just it was just different. So I, I'm just always super proud of UC. I, I always tell people my heaven would be if UC could just be plopped right in San Jose proper, where I could just like <laughs> go to football games, go to basketball games, be involved with the baseball program, and that would be my heaven. But unfortunately, it's the wrong UC out here. It's California UC. I think Chad and I, we that would be our heaven too. I'd, I'd be okay with covering covering some games out that way. <laughs> yeah. uh, tell me what I think it's. We're, this sounds amazing. It was just a year ago, but we're just past a year from UC's run in the you know the tournament out in Corvallis, and you were obviously out there and seeing all of that. What was what was that experience like for you to be front and center for for the team pulling off a pretty remarkable last few weeks of the season? Yeah, it was it was cool. It was it was really a special moment. Uh, I've never been to Corvallis. Wow, what a place for uh, college sports. Uh, the football stadium looks amazing too. Their fan base rowdy. They were talking <laughs> so much smack. They were yelling at Joey Weimer, like yelling at him because he has the long hair and looks like. A... And and these people and they and these people are diehards. I mean, you know, and I think the great <laughs> my greatest thing was a guy sitting next to me screaming at him and getting it into it with him. Yeah, luckily the camera didn't pick up on that, and finally walked away. But he was talking so much smack to our players, and I was hot. I was not. I was not having it. <laughs> hold on, hold on. 
who was hotter, you or Mike Bone? Because I've I've stood next to Mike Bone at sporting events. I was, yeah, I was really hot, and Mike got hot, and it, it was not going to be pretty. So, uh, you know, but it's one of those things where the competition was just – it was great. The guys played great. Um, and I'm sitting there with Mike, and I'm just saying to myself, I'm like, watching this game. And, and, and this is one of the things, too, that I watched in this game. And if you're a baseball fan, the shifting, right? I believe in shifting at the major league level. I believe they have the stats to prove it. But we won that game at Oregon State because I feel the head coach or whoever's in charge of it, they shifted more of our players in crazy shifts. Outfielders are playing on the, on the wall, and balls were just falling in. We were hitting balls right where they weren't consistently. And it, it really showed me that you know statistical analysis is really, really good. There's a lot of great information out there. But the problem is – is the major league level has so much more information and so much more stats than the college level. And it was, it was, it was truly a, a, a unique moment for me as a, as a baseball guy and a, and a stats guy. I, I, I read up on all the analytics uh, before the game on pitchers and stuff like that, but it was over coaching that led to success. And that's why I thought it was so special for us was our guys just went out there, played the game, did all the little things and took down Oregon state. So it, it was a special moment to watch. What's your relationship like with coach Guggins and what has been your impression of him? Uh, did you know him when he was at Xavier or just when he got to UC? And then what are your thoughts on him running the program? Well, I don't affiliate with anyone from Xavier. So I, I, I could care less about <laughs> Guggins and Xavier. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm half joking. With that, too. it's okay. This is this is the most pro UC podcast you're going to find. Trust me. Okay, good. Yeah. So there's a backstory on that. Xavier actually wrote me a letter saying I will never be a scholarship athlete at Xavier University too. So put that one down the books too. That's a funny one. Uh, but We're Goose getting Michael great. Jordan level of like hate from from you here. Oh yeah, they're in the book. Yeah. They're in the book. Yeah. They're in the book. What what was your record in the crosstown? Or what was your uh, how'd you play in the crosstown shootout? Uh, the baseball me, I, I We got to look up those stats with me because I was hot. I was pissed every single time. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if we lost against Xavier. It was like the end of my week. Like I could, I could have gone five for five with five homers, and if we if we lost, it was the, it was like the worst day of my life. So, <laughs> but Goobs is great. I mean, Goobs is Goobs is a solid, solid dude. I mean, I, I love talking to him. He's got great energy. Uh, his wife was a teacher at Sycamore, my high school. Um, in that school district. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Goobs and my relationship's good. I mean, it's just my distance being so far away. It's hard for me to come back and do things with, uh, all my business, uh, that is on the West coast. But every time I come back, there's, they're, they're, they're absolutely amazing to me. JD Heilman, a guy I played with, uh, is there and love him and he, he's hilarious, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it's, it's great. It, what you see is doing and how they're moving forward. You know, the key for me is if we can keep those kids in state, come into Cincinnati, that is how we're going to grow the program. We got to make sure those dudes don't leave that city that are just absolute studs. So you look at what Luke Fickle's done with the football program and you point at it and go that, exactly that. Right. Yeah. And if we could just get into that conference, we can just get into that bigger conference. I think baseball will forever change at University of Cincinnati. AAC is pretty strong in baseball though. I mean, they've had a couple yeah. seasons where they were, it's a lot different than football and basketball. Uh, because in baseball, the AAC has a national reputation because of the teams that are there, though, right? Yeah, no, it's definitely a very good conference. But I feel like it's it's one of those it's conferences. Not enough money. 
Right. That's the, that's the biggest thing. It's, it's not as sexy to recruits, right? So the key is those conferences that are the bigger conferences allow for better recruiting overall you still get really good ball players that, you know, they're also like the scraps. Like a lot of people say, Oh, they can't go play SDC. They can't play ACC. So these kids have a chip on their shoulder and they go to these conferences and know that, you know, that chip on the shoulder will carry them to where they need to be. So I, I, I love the conference. I, I, I love conference USA when I was there, uh, you know, playing against the two lanes and the Southern Mississippi's and all those schools down South. It was fun. Houston, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing uh, through, with all of UC sports is if we can just get to that next, you know, echelon of uh, a conference, you know, big things can happen. You yeah. obviously kept a relationship with, with Guggen and the team in general. Maybe outside of this kind of most recent situation with the stadium, how much interaction do you have with the athletic department and, and how much are they coming to you, whether it's something baseball-related or just athletics in general? Well, every single time I go to like down to my phone, there's a new athletic director. So it's uh, <laughs> I joke around about that. It's like I become friends with these guys and then they get fired. I'm like, this is not good or not fired. They get hired somewhere else um, usually. Uh, so but Karen Hatcher, I talk to a lot. Karen uh, reaches out a bunch and we and we communicate and talk about things that she keeps me up to the pulse of what uh, UC a athletics is doing. And I, I, we just had a really good relationship and her husband, Billy, just being a, a you know, great guy to, that I've known for many years on the ball field. And uh, that's, that's, that's probably my best relationship within the UC athletic department. And, and Dan Horde. What's that? And Dan Horde. Oh yeah. And Dan Horde. Dan, Dan, get, Dan gets me locked in for the football. You know, I ask him, you know, how, how's it going at a camp and how do we look in and, and basketball too. So, uh, I utilize my resources. So, you know, I, I, it's like my cheat sheet. I don't have to go like do all the research. They, I just call them and ask them and they tell me all about it. So it's great. Let's talk about the, the, the post career. Um, how do you get into it? What made you decide that, that, you know, maybe the, the restaurant industry and the, the service industry was, was what something you wanted to look into and, and really, it sounds like that's that's how you spend, you know, most of your time these days. So what led you to that path? You just like beer? Yeah, um, I'm a huge craft beer lover. Uh, <laughs> I, and, and going across the country and playing and, and very, you know, so many great cities. Uh, there were so many great breweries that I got to try and different craft beer uh, along the way that I uh, I really just enjoyed. Uh, it was it wasn't one of the, you know, the thing I like about craft beer is you don't have to drink like six of them in order to like get buzzed off of like a light beer. So uh, I, I fell in love with it. I went around the country and then I just said, you know what, this is a very interesting uh, industry. I went to the great American beer fest one time and just saw the camaraderie between breweries and how they, they, they intertwine and they, and they work with each other well. And they, they talk about each other's craft beer and, and really uh, do a lot of cool stuff. I mean, they, they pitch yeast and then, they have remaining yeast, they give it to their buddies. And uh, I really enjoyed that part of the craft beer world. So uh, I, I didn't know I was going to get in the restaurant business. And quite honestly, I don't know if I'm ever going to do a restaurant again. <laughs> it's not easy, <laughs> but uh, definitely more, uh, you know, we got a brew pub here, 1100 square foot brewing facility, and we got plans in the works to open a production brewery, uh, hopefully within the next two years uh, out here in California. Any plans to, to distribute in Cincinnati or? 
not yet. I mean, the, the hard part about it is uh, the cost associated with uh, distributing out Cincinnati, but it's also the freshness. So uh, if there's a way that we can do it and it makes sense for uh, the business, I'd love to do it. I'm hoping that through this COVID that some of the regulations uh, will go down where shipping beer will get yeah. easier. So where you can buy it from the website and maybe uh, breweries can ship their beer uh, to certain places. So I, I have a lot of faith that I think we might move in that direction in the next five years. And if that happens, we'll make it a lot easier to get that beer in Cincinnati. How do you find the place? Cause that place looks pretty amazing behind you. What's the process? Uh, yeah, that was not a fun process. So we looked all over the San Jose area up and down the peninsula and I live probably a mile or maybe a little less right around a mile from here. Uh, this is downtown Los Gatos and just found this. Uh, it was a brewery uh, before uh, brew pub before for years, like 20 years. It was called Los Gatos Brewing Company and the owners of just there, it was time for them to get out. So we actually got very lucky that they were wanting to get out and we were wanting to come in and uh, start our own thing. Okay. Give us, give us your best Stan Horde story. Because you, you probably knew Best him from his, his time in Boston, too, didn't you? Uh, well, he was in Pawtucket. Yeah. So he was right. down in Pawtucket, and I was up in the major leagues at that time. But, uh, I mean, the, probably one of the cooler stories was when uh, the, the Bengals played the 49ers. I got to sit in the radio booth with uh, Dan and Lap, And I never have gotten to see Lap do his thing. I, just hearing him Low and the emotion and the excitement <laughs> like of lap, right? And then you get to see it in person and see him stand up and he's like doing his thing. And to me, like Dan is so calm, right? Dan is real calm. He gets excited, but then he, he, he's just such a professional <laughs> that he knows how to like get back on track. What I love about lap is he's me. I'd be the same way. I'd be getting so pumped up and so excited. And I think that was, the, that was a lot of fun to finally see it rather than just hearing it in that booth. Where does – how does Lap – watching a game next to Lap compare to watching a name, game next to Mike Bone? Those, those, those are two guys <laughs> who I think are kind of on the same, same level. Well, I, I think for me, just being a Lap fan for, and knowing his son, uh, I've been a huge fan of him for so many years growing up and wa listening to him. And I, I've always just loved, like, you know, it's like, go to the 40, 30, go go you know it's like when you hear that it's just like it's that's what to me and I, I know people always talk about this when they when they call games is uh, to be a homer and I'm like how can you not be a homer you work for the team you want the team to do good like I love that excitement Joe Nuxall I mean Joe Nuxall was the king of being excited in the background so uh I, I'm you know my my pride for Cincinnati comes from Joe Nuxall and growing up with him and Marty and then just turn right into lap do you have any broadcasting you, interest? That was, was my exact question. Did you ever think about it? Uh, people have asked. Uh, I always joke around. I'm like, baseball, man, it's tough. I mean, it's a lot of time. <laughs> a lot, a lot, long. Um, I'm actually working on a project here that might do something. Uh, I'll have more details here in the near, near future. But Eric Burns is coming up with some, uh, some cool new progressive type commentating type thing. Uh, so we might have more uh, to do about it. But, uh, yeah, I've definitely been asked. And it's just not my thing. I don't like to wear a tie and a suit and talk baseball. Uh, throw on a T-shirt and shorts and give me some flip-flops and I'll talk baseball anytime. <laughs> <laughs> do you have something else, Jay? I'm good. Um, 
we, you talked a lot on the first podcast about your children and, and going through the process of being a dad. Uh, did you, like, when you got done playing, did you come home one day and then all of a sudden it was like, all right, I'm home. Like, was there that moment? That's, uh, that's the toughest moment. It's, uh, it's such a mixed bag of emotions. It's, it's one that, oh, my God, I'm so relieved I'm not going to spring training. Because baseball players retire because of spring training, in my opinion. <laughs> like, no, no baseball players want to go through another spring training. You know, if we can just skip spring training and go right into games, I might have played another year. But uh, it, it was a mixed emotion of, uh, you know, a bag of emotions because, one, I'm not doing something I loved, like, for my whole entire life. My, 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 my dream, my focus, my, my attention was always on baseball. Okay, this month I got to do this. I got to train. I got to get ready for the season. You know, then it's season. My whole, my whole life was planned for me. Uh, so that part was really hard is structure. Oh, what am I doing today? What? Oh, wait, I don't have anything to do. Oh, wait, I don't even have to work out because I don't have to be a, you know, I don't have to be this professional athlete anymore. So it, it was hard in that sense, but it was also beautiful because I got to be around my kids. I got to be there and help out my wife, you know, when the kids were young and, and I was always around for that. But then it's also hard too, because you go through a lot of emotions. You have depression in that first year because you go from like a lot of worth, like you're, you, you, you have the self-worth of being a professional athlete. And then now you're nothing and you don't know your next path. So I always tell guys in that first year, like reach out to your buddies, reach out to teammates that have just retired like three years ago that went through that struggle that first year, because you just, you're, you're, you're in your thirties. I mean, some guys might be in their forties and get lucky, but you're in your thirties and most people in their thirties are going upward in their trajectory of their jobs. So it's it's a struggle. So I struggled a little bit my first year, but luckily I had a plan in place to do Loma Brewing Company, and I stuck to that focus. And I, I was very lucky to have a job. So that's that was my path, and I just kind of kept my focus on that. Um, you don't know this, or I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, while we're working on changing the name of the stadium, we have changed the name of the baseball message board on BearcatJournal.com. Oh yeah. It's, yeah, it was Marge Shot Baseball Board because the Carson Field Football Board, the Jucker Court Basketball Board, and then the Marge Shot Baseball Board. It's now it's now known as the Uke. <laughs> oh wow! All right, well, it's a huge honor, right? Yeah, that's a huge honor. Now, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, and people are talking about that. You know what's funny about? Yeah, I heard I did somebody said we we should rename the baseball field the Uke, and uh, that was me. Oh, that was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a few people that are out there that want you close. I, 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 what do you guys think about this? What, what if it, you know, the hashtag we are UC or like something that's like more, not just an individual, but like more something that's cohesive, like of, I don't know, a big group. I, I, I feel like we need something that's more of a group than just an actual person because, I don't know. To me, I, Bearcat I, I, Stadium. Very, yeah, Bearcat Stadium or something, uh, you know, along that, or Paul Stadium or so, something cool that, like, we figure out something that has more about UC than actually a, a person. You know, I think I'm a type of guy that if I'm donating money, I don't need the awards, I don't need the attention. I just do it because I love it. And I, it, it's an honor to be the uke on, your, on the baseball platform, but it's something I've never been really easy with. <laughs> well, it's small time enough. I don't think it's going to make any waves. 
Oh, good, good. Yeah, because I made enough waves this week. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah, right. I'll change start small. I'll change start small. Yeah. Uh, uh, small wins. Last question. Small wins. Last question, and you're probably not gonna you're probably not gonna be able to accomplish this question, but based on the end of your podcast, podcast number one of the Greek God of Hops podcast, give me a story better than almost killing Bob Feller as Sean Casey closed your podcast. With. <laughs> well, to even try I was to get crying. the same, I was crying. Oh. That was so funny. It, it, Sean Casey, like he told one story, right? of many stories he has in his back pocket yeah. that, I mean, we've sat around a couple nights, had some pops and we, I've been crying, cramping. Like I literally, <laughs> like my side is ready to blow out because he is absolutely hysterical. But one of the funnier stories, I'll tell a Sean Casey story. So we're, we're in Fenway and Case hits a ball, hits a ball in the gap. Nick Markakis comes up and just throws an absolute seed to second base. Sean comes belly in like, he gets tagged out of second base. I think he gets up again. He gets up. I I think it was three times, if I'm not mistaken. I better, I hopefully I tell the story right. If not, it's even better because I'm going to make it even better. (laughs) He hits another ball off the wall, goes into second base, gets thrown out again. And he's like crawling. <laughs> I remember this game. I remember this. <laughs> so he gets up in his third at bat, and we're all just like, oh, come on, man. Just hit off the wall. Get thrown out again. Like, we are just hoping because we are crying. He hits a ball to right field. Nick Markakis gets the ball, and Case is just, he's just, he's arms heads going everywhere he's trying to dig it out and he just goes whoo flies into second base safe barely safe and all of Fenway Park and the whole dugout erupts yeah <laughs> he gets a standing ovation takes off <laughs> but the look on Sean Casey's face when he was going into second base he and and Tito and Tito I don't know if this is appropriate or not. I think Tito Tito calls him in the dugout the second time. He goes, hey, Case, do you have polio? <laughs> and Case was like, what? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, <"T-> <laughs> and luckily, like, we were absolutely, like, Tito is so funny when he says these things. He always will pull off these little things and jabs at you that are absolutely hysterical. But Case, like, he was so red hot. And Case tells that story a lot better than I do. But uh, Sean Casey and his uh, lack of speed uh, led us to that day to have so much fun. Greek god of hops, where can they find it? Uh, the beer or the podcast? The, the podcast. We're not allowed to okay. order. The, we'd order the beer from you. The only person that gets the beer here is Dan. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so – the Greek God House podcast, you can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Apple, uh, iHeartRadio. I think there's like 25 different things I've never even heard of. So, like, I can't remember what these, like, if, actual. If they, if, they, if they publish podcasts, you can find it there, right, basically. There you go. But you can go to mudhousemedia.com, mud with two Ds. Uh, Chris Meyer is helping, uh, you know, produce this and got the show going a good buddy uh so mudhousemedia.com is where you can find it and uh yeah 
we're, we're going to have a uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook accounts and start posting some cool content. So be on the lookout for that too. Where can they, uh, where can they get the coffee? And I'll let you plug it this one last time for free. Anything after this, you're going to have to start sending coffee to Justin. Oh, okay, cool. So I get, I get, I get one free ad. Nice. Uh, yeah. So the coffee is called Loma coffee company. It's in Southeast Woodstock in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, and you can go to loma-coffee.com. Uh, there's a bunch of single origins on there that are just absolutely amazing. We got a new Ethiopia in, uh, and then we got a Haitian coffee that's coming soon. So a lot of cool stuff. Uh, great roaster, Brand Smythe. He's doing a lot of cool stuff up there. And just be on the lookout. We'll have updates here soon on more stuff. You, that was uh, was absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the day out there in beautiful California. All right, guys, enjoy it back there in the natty. I miss it. Thank All you. Right. All right, he's guys, Justin Williams. Going? I'm Chad Brendel. Special thanks once again to Kevin Euclid for joining us. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ podcast brought to you by the Holy Grail here on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>